Our lives from birth to death and everywhere in between are incredibly impacted by the people around us. As much as we all like to pride ourselves on our own uh, little individuality, right? On uh, being our, our own man, our own woman. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that other people's examples shape a lot of who we are, what we do, and even how we do it. I remember um, a time when I was first learning to preach, I was uh, at a, another church, it was a large church, and I was listening to the pastor speak, and, and he was charismatic. I mean, he was a visionary. He was a go-getter, and, and he was Italian, you know, and he would, he would just drop at times just this particular verbal cue, and it was like the whole congregation just, you know, just threw their attention up to him. It was cool. And, um, and so anyways, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, you know, I've got a sermon coming up in two weeks. Maybe I'll give that a try, right? And so as I was preparing my message, I found a couple spots where maybe that would be a good, you know, spot to drop that in and so forth. And, uh, and so that Sunday morning came, and, and as that time neared, I stepped up to that podium, and, and with all the confidence I had, I just shot that line right on out there and then watched it sink like a lead ship. And in a moment, I realized... I'm not Italian, <laughs> and I'm not that guy. But people's examples, they impact us, for better or for worse. They impact us, whether we're adopting somebody's example, avoiding their example, trying to learn from their example, it impacts us. And what I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, is that over time, someone's example and the way that it impacts us, it becomes less obvious and more potent. Uh, it becomes less overt and more powerful, more powerful. Um, this is a little bit easier, I think, to see when it comes to children. Right, parents? Uh, this is a picture of my son when he was about, about two years old. And uh, I, he's cute, isn't he? He's a cute kid. Uh, thanks. Uh, so anyways, you know, he, he looks like he's just having a good time. But actually, this guy is hard at work. All right. Uh, at the time, I was a youth pastor, and there wasn't a lot of office hours. You know, youth pastors, we got to get our work done someplace, you know. And, and so a lot of times I, I had, you know, loaded up my backpack with, uh, with my laptop and with my coffee cup. And, you know, I'd either be, maybe be working at home or, or, you know, having books everywhere, which is a great mess my wife always enjoyed. And then, uh, or, you know, I'd be working, you know, offsite, you know, someplace or whatever. Anyways, I was oftentimes doing this, and my son— would see that example. And what he would do is he would take his, uh, his pat pack, as he called it, his backpack, and he would take his leapfrog laptop and put it in there, and then he'd take his apple juice and put it in there. And I kid you not, he would truck around the house and find different spots to plant himself and just start working away, you know? And it was the cutest thing in the world because he was imitating the example that he saw. That's 
what we do, right? And with kids, it's obvious, but it's not very powerful because they can't really pull off the real McCoy, right? But again, over time, this becomes, this becomes a little less obvious, but a little bit more possible. Uh, this is why students, your parents are incredibly concerned about who you're hanging out with. Who's influencing you? Who's those examples that you're paying attention to? A lot of moms in here probably just had a picture of a particular somebody just come right up in their head right now. That's the one I'm worried about, right? Yeah, you know, and that's because parents, they know the old saying that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your what? Your future, right? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future, and every survey seems to back this up. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I used to uh, show uh, parents and teens this particular survey from Gallup that would illustrate this point, I thought, quite, uh, quite poignantly, um, that the number one influence in a teenager's life is not their parents. It's not a teacher. It's not a pastor. Who is it? Friends. Friends are the number one influence, followed by TV or media, number two. That was number two. Uh, if you spend four hours a day watching a screen, it's going to influence you. That's just the way that you work. That's the way you and I were made. That's how things operate. Now, just to reassure you, parents did come in at number three, and pastors had the great high score, just in case you were curious, of number 16. You know, I felt really encouraged by, by that. Um, makes me really want to preach. Uh, you know, but it's, it's amazing the influence that examples have on us. The interesting thing is, is that when you consider us adults, we have somehow managed to convince ourselves that we are immune. We're immune from other people's examples, right? Now, it's certainly true that we are not as impressionable or as moldable as a child or a teen, but let me tell you, every single year, billions of dollars are spent believing that we are wrong about that assumption. They are spent in marketing, believing that if I show you a particular picture or you read something or hear something or watch something, that you can be influenced to buy, vote, live, go somewhere, right? All because they believe if you see this example, it's going to influence you in some way, some shape, somehow. And it might not be really overt, but it certainly seems to be working. At least in my household, it seems to be, right? For better or worse, that seems to be the case. And of course, this isn't limited to marketing, because I don't know about you, but I have had plenty of moments in my life when I said something, and the very next moment, the thought hit me, that's just like how my dad probably would have said it. <laughs> or that's probably what my mom would have done, right? I'm sure that's never happened to you. Um, let me ask you a question this morning. Based on all of that, who are you watching? Who are you following? What's influencing you these days? What show are you watching, right? 
What are you reading? What articles seem to grab your attention? And you don't have to be a Christian to answer that question. Wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to dig into what we're looking at this morning because it's important. It's an important question to consider. Why? Well, because whatever it is, it has the ability to help shape the direction of our lives. It has the ability. And it's not always obvious, but it's very powerful. And a wise person is able to realize that what is influencing them today is going to determine, in part, their future tomorrow, their destinations tied to it. A show, a book, a father, spouse, author, artist can quietly lead us in a direction, even one that we didn't really care to end up in. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is huge, right? Because the example that we want to be following is a difficult one, an important one, and one that is leading us in the right direction. But it's not too hard in the long life that we have to quietly stop following Jesus and just settle for believing in God. Settling for a set of beliefs that no longer affect our actions. It's not hard. So let me ask you again. Who are you watching? Who's influencing you? Friends, media, parent? Who? What? Now, a couple of weeks ago, we took a look at Philippians chapter 3. And uh, started out this uh, little piece here. And, and, we, and we looked at a question of where are you headed from that? This morning, I want to take you to the next piece of that chapter. And I want us to take a look at this. And I want us to see uh, that this piece uh, brings up this exact same question. Of who are you watching? Of who are you watching? And I want us to see a godly invitation that it offers us out of it. And we're going to see that we have an example to avoid, an example to follow, and an encouragement to remember. An example to avoid, an example to follow, an encouragement to remember. So let's take a look. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Says this. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom... I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly or their appetite. They glory in their shame and with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject or subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, these verses, they point out something. That in life, at least in one way, our life is like a car. That where you're looking is usually where you're going. So the examples that catch our attention are powerful. 
And in this letter to the Philippian Christians, the Apostle Paul has moved here from uh, showing uh, the example of Jesus to how we should respond to it, how Paul has responded to it, and now how we we're called to emulate his choice. And that same call in this passage here, is, is, it's not so much of an insight as it is a command, right? This is a commanding passage for someone who wants to be with Jesus, that there's a clear call to action of something to avoid, something to follow, and encouragement to remember. And these actions, as he lays out here, he does this because we, the Philippian Christians here, and we today, we are in danger. We are in danger of being led astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. A devotion that says that being with Jesus is all that matters. It's all that matters. And that everything else in life for a Christian flows from there. You and I can be led from that desire by simply following the wrong examples. It's not that hard. In fact, it may not be very obvious. In fact, I think it rarely is. But it's very powerful. Very powerful. So the question in our daily life is, who are we watching? Who are you going to be influenced by today? I think what surfaces in this passage, as we look at it more closely, is a singular idea that where you're looking is usually where you're going. That where you're looking is usually where you're going. This isn't uh, just true for driver ed students, okay? This is the case for any Christian in life. Now, if you think that the Christian life was about saying a prayer to get some fire insurance, you missed the point. Jesus isn't interested in just one moment of your life. He wants all of you. That's why we're called to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, right? It's why Paul here is offering some common sense. It's not anything radical. He's offering common sense here and applying it to how we walk in this life with Jesus. He's, follow, he's following here Jesus and then his invitation as a mature follower of Jesus, who's not perfect, as he stated earlier in the text, but he's mature, he invites people to imitate his example. Paul states the same idea in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. This isn't some, try to, some kind of a backdoor marketing scheme, right? He's, he's, he's laying it right on out there with a clear call. Join in imitating me. Now, for some of us who might be reading this passage for the first time, uh, I think that we can kind of wonder, really? Be like you, and I'll be like Jesus Christ? Is that one and the same here? Is that arrogance? <laughs> is that humility? What is it? A few years uh, back, my wife and I uh, had somebody in our life that we really cared about, and they were going through... Uh, a tough time, and it ended up kind of forcing us to answer a bit of a similar question for ourselves. Different, but, but similar in some ways. Uh, we were talking with uh, this person and finding out that they were trying to figure out where they needed to head next in life. And so as we were looking at that, and it forced us to consider and pray. And as we did that, as we talked and prayed, 
we came to a conclusion. We were going to invite them to come live with us. And so I still remember throwing that out there to this person. And <laughs> as I was throwing it out there, I remember thinking, what kind of example are we going to be? What kind of example are we going to be showing them? I was thinking that knowing, knowing that, you know, you can fool somebody with a church face for an hour on a Sunday morning. But let me tell you, when somebody's living in your home, there's no faking it. You're going to be the real McCoy. It's going to show up. The, who you are, what you value, what you believe, it's, it's going to rise to the surface. What example are you going to be? I can tell you in that moment, I didn't, I didn't feel puffed up. I felt imperfect, <laughs> humbled, and in, and in greater need of Jesus' help. Friends, what Paul, the Apostle Paul is laying out here, it's a practical reality, not arrogance. You and I will follow someone's example, period. And the example is going to come from one of two destinations. It's either going to come from an example of Jesus Christ, or it's going to come from an example headed towards destruction. We're going to be influenced by one or the other. And it's crucial as a follower of Jesus that we be influenced by the right one, right? We don't want to be influenced by the wrong one. Paul doesn't want these followers to be influenced by the wrong one. And so he lays it right on that out there. He, he throws out that invitation. And it's really, it's the example of Jesus Christ in someone that we are invited to follow. It's not them in every way. It's just that the example of Jesus is coming to bear there. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. To stand firm in that example as we are standing firm in the Lord, as it says in the, in the last verse. And I tell you what, if you begin to do that, nothing about that's going to puff up your pride. If anything, it's going to give you one of the most sobering views of your life that you can imagine. Because the example of Jesus Christ challenges us at every turn. At every turn. And so that's why Paul then, he moves on from here. After looking at that, he moves on and he just goes ahead and he just rips the band-aid right on off of the false examples that the Philippian Christians and we today might be tempted to follow. That's why he does this. And, and so we begin to see here our example to avoid. Our example to avoid. Look back at verse 18 with me here. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We'll pause there for a moment. Now, the thing that blew my mind as I was studying this passage was right here. As I first read this and read the, you know, the following verse, I was under the impression that he's talking about people outside the church, right? No. Paul is talking about somebody here who was a present example that he is emotionally broken over and somebody that these Christians would have been tempted to follow as a role model. 
And so what is more likely is that he is talking about people inside the church. He's talking about people inside the church who have been setting the wrong example. That is a warning to us this morning. But it's not enough for us just to hear a warning. Instead, we have to go press into it a little bit deeper. We need to ask the question, how do I recognize what that example is? So in the passage, he then lists out four things, right? He says that their destination is destruction rather than heaven. Their God is their belly. Their desires are ruling them rather than God himself. They glory in their shame rather than the glory that Jesus promises to bestow. And then finally, their mind is set on earthly things rather than the things to come. Friends, a humble and courageous Christian does not shrug this off. Instead, they ask the question, have I bought into that example? Have I bought into the wrong example? Because it's easier to do than we think. I remember uh, seeing a series of clips that was uh, set up for graduating high school seniors. And one of the clips was done by a a Christian ministry that deals with finances and so forth. And and as I was watching this clip, they're laying out some great practical advice for life. And it was good. It was good. Uh, And it came up to the very last scene, and I can never forget the picture of it. In the scene, they have a woman who, I kid you not, has a fan of $100 bills. And she's standing there and she goes, live today like nobody else so that someday you can live like nobody else. I'm looking at this example and thinking about presenting it to my high school seniors. I'm thinking to myself, something about this just doesn't quite fit. I just can't quite see Jesus doing that, you know? Saying that, it might be a fine 13-word principle, but the other thousand words that are being said by the picture don't seem to fit. They seem to be ruled by earthly desires, dominated by them. The examples we look at, that we watch, that we consume, usually determine where we're going. And people even good people inside the church, we can set the wrong example. Think of it this way. If a new Christian, this is a great test, if a new Christian would come in and live with you and model their life after yours, where would they end up? Where would they end up? The examples you have adopted, whether it's in sexuality, entertainment, money, church, whatever, other areas of life, it is what you and I have to offer. Where does it stand? Do you have a robust view of Jesus that has impacted your life? I believe that some of us in here would be offering the stalest version of Jesus conceivable. And it should break our hearts. Rather than the fear of God giving you freedom, you have rejected the words of Jesus and turned down the offer of an abundant life and settled for a cultural Christianity. Others of us have rejected the fear of the Lord in a different way. We've embraced desires as fools, allowing them to rule over us. And we've become gluttons, 
drunks and addicts as a result. We've abused our freedom rather than enjoying it with Jesus and his wisdom. But, but, do we have the humility and the courage to call it like it is? And then, if necessary, wherever, to turn, repent, and have the courage to literally go out and find the right example to imitate. If not, we will glory in our shame. And Christ will be able to see the difference. He will know. Even if you're able to fool everybody else, he looks at the heart and he knows. He knows us. Where we're looking is usually where we're going. And if you want to avoid the wrong temptation, a great step to take here is to do exactly what the Apostle Paul did for us, which was just to literally unmask the temptation, unmask the wrong example. Uh, this is what I find myself having to do throughout the week, is unmasking the wrong example, unmasking that temptation by literally calling it what it is. That if I go there, I'm going to experience destruction. That's going to ruin my life. It could ruin my family. That that disgusting temptation is wanting to rule my life and to be my master. And for me, to be a slave. This is an incredibly effective way of realizing where something will take you and avoiding a bad example. I encourage you to follow it. It's a great way. The example that Apostle Paul offers us here. But it's not enough for us just to avoid the wrong example in life. We have to move forward. We need to land in the direction of the right ones. Where should we be going? The examples to watch, what are those? How should we follow? How should we imitate those? So, number two here, an example to follow. Look uh, in verse 17 here. We have Paul. He calls us to watch and imitate the example of mature Christians, which is ultimately, again, based upon the perfect example found in Jesus. This is why he's saying to walk according to the example found in us, not just in himself. Again, this, is, this isn't Paul's example per se. It's just simply finding hands and feet in Paul and others. Paul is incarnating that example that then we get to follow in today. And we do the same thing as we lead. We incarnate that example. And so the natural question for us is how do we how do we recognize that example? How do we recognize it? That's what verse 20 and 21 are about. They're showing us here a big picture glimpse at what that example looks like. Read the rest of the book of Philippians to fill in the details. But the big picture glimpse says this, verse 20. But, so in contrast to our previous example, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject, or again, subdue all things to himself. Paul lays out here a defining characteristic that people, the people whose example we are called to follow, are so heavenly-minded that they are of some earthly good. I always think that people have got that saying wrong. I think that people who are being held up as our example here in Scripture are so heavenly-minded 
that they are of some earthly good. These people realize that being with Jesus is all that matters. And it defines everything else in their life for them. It gives them courage. It gives them humility. These people are the examples to follow. And some of the practical ways that we can be able to kind of recognize those is to ask questions. Look at, look at it this way. Think about somebody who you might be tempted to follow their example and consider these four questions. Number one, where do they seem to place their true devotion and passion? What do they get passionate about? It says a lot about a person. Number two, when you talk with them, where does your conversation lead you? Closer to matters uh, that are close to God's heart or further from them? Where does your conversation leave you with them? What does, it, what does it seem to bring up? Things that are honorable, true, noble, beautiful, lovely, good, or the opposite? Where does it take you? Number three, do they show a trust in God in difficult moments? How we respond to trouble in our lives says a lot. Number four, finally, they are hopeful about where they're headed, or do they dread it? Are they hopeful, or are they in dread? As we look at these examples, they're really the example of Jesus. And we need to hang on then to that final encouragement that we're offered here in chapter four, verse one. It says this, therefore, in light of all this, right, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I remember uh, walking into uh, Grace Fellowship, my previous church, and stepping up to the senior pastor's door, and he had a poster on his door. The very first line of the poster said, follow me as I follow Christ and pray I don't blow it. I thought that's so true. <laughs> Friends, you are incredibly loved by God. He loves you. He cares about you. You are his beloved. As you stand firm in the example that you and I are provided, you have the opportunity to then become an example that others will follow by the grace of God. And the amazing thing about godly examples is that they may not be overt, but they are incredibly powerful. And if you want to live into this, and you want to remember this, you want to remember that more is caught than taught. When it comes to these examples, more is caught than taught. And if we've learned from someone's example, it has to be more than just words. It has to be more than just words being spoken. D.A. Carson tells a phenomenal story painting this picture <clears throat> Excuse me. He tells a story about a time when he was in college. He started this Bible study, and everybody else in the Bible study didn't know Jesus except for him and the one guy that started it. And, and so at times he would find himself over his head. And on campus, there was a graduate student named Dave. And Dave was known for being able to help people along with just elementary things of Christianity in a very clear cut fashion. And so uh, at times he would bring people by for a conversation with Dave. 
and, uh, and he records one of those times. He says, on the particular occasion I have in mind, I brought two of the undergraduates from the Bible study uh, uh, to Dave in his rooms. And he, uh, he was pressed for time as usual and a bit abrupt, but he offered us co coffee and promptly turned to the first student. Why have you come to see me? He said, the student replied along these lines. Well, you know, I've been going to this Bible study, and I realize I probably should learn more about Christianity. I'd also like to learn something about Buddhism, Islam, and some other world religions. And I would should, you know, like to broaden my perspectives in this period while I'm in university. It seems like a good time to explore religion a little, and if you can help me with some of it, I'd be grateful. Dave stared at him for a few seconds, and they said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. My jaw dropped. The student thus addressed was equally non-pulsed and blurted out, I beg your pardon. I think they're in England. David replied, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to be rude, but I, I only have so much time. I'm a graduate student with a heavy program myself. If you have a dilettante's interest in Christianity, I'm sure there are people around you who can spend a, t a lot of time and energy showing you the ropes. I can introduce you to some of them and give you some books. Uh, when you're really interested in Christ, come and see me again. And un but under the present circumstances, I don't have time. He turned to the second student. Why have you come to see me? After listening to the rebuff administered to the first student, the second may have been a bit cowed, but gamely he plowed on. I come from what you people would call a liberal home. I don't believe the way you do, but it's a good home, a happy home. My parents loved their children, disciplined us, set a good example, and encouraged us to be courteous, honorable, hardworking. And for the life of me, I can't see what you people think of yourself as Christians as any better. Apart from the whole lot of abstract theology, what have you got that I haven't? This time I held my breath to see what Dave would say. Once again, he stared at the interlocutor for a few seconds and then simply said, watch me. Dave answered, watch me. Come and live with me for a month if you like. Be my guest. Watch what I do when I get up. Watch what I do when I'm on my own. How I work, how I use my time, how I talk with people and what my values are. Come with me wherever I go and at the end of the month you tell me if there's any difference. Rick did not take Dave up on his invitation, at least not in exactly those terms, but he did get to know Dave better. And in due course, Rick became a Christian, married a Christian woman, and the two of them became medical doctors, practiced medicine, lived out their faith in both Canada and overseas. Watch me. At the time, I was worried about the sheer arrogance that such an invitation seemed to capture. But at the same time, my mind recalled the words of the Apostle Paul, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Sober observation and reflection assures us that such Christian character is as much caught as taught. That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians. Wow. Friends, this is what we need. We need to hold fast to the mature example that we have in followers of Christ as they truly reflect Christ himself. If you do that, you will find that that example is not only in them, that it can also 
be in you. It's not a humbling thought, but it's our invitation that the God of the universe is interested in using you and me to reflect his example to a lost and dying world. And that's the invitation we need to respond to today. Let's pray. Father God, all of this is worthless without your help. We surrender ourselves today afresh. God, for some of us, we come and we have heard this word and we need to repent. We have, we have adopted the wrong ones and we know it. There's stuff we need to go home today and we need to change. But God, it is worthless for us to do unless you help us. God, we cannot just simply change our hearts. We need you. Lord, would you lead us to a place of repentance where we are surrendering our desires, our way of living, our will, asking and inviting your forgiveness and adopting you as being the master and Lord of our life forever. Lord, would you bring us to that place afresh? This is not only for those of us in here who maybe are doing this for the first time. Father, bring all of us along in this, that we would all be drawn to a place of repentance through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we turn our attention to, um, to coming to the table together. This is an opportunity for us to reflect, to remember, to confess, and then to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And what we need this morning is to do that afresh. So everyone is invited. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're invited to this table. Um, when we serve, there will be two cups. One will be with the bread and one will be with the juice. I invite you to hold those until everyone has been served. But we also hear this morning the words of the Apostle Paul who described what we are now partaking in. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's peace.